Welcome to Trine Days, The Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce DeTorres. With us is James L. Kelly, whose writings in psychiatry and theology have been published all over the world. His anatomizing divinity, studies in science, esotericism, and political theology merges philosophy, history, and alchemy to draw conclusions about Western modernity. Gentlemen, it's great to be with you. Great to be here. You know, it was uh, very interesting uh, for me to get uh, James's manuscript. Uh, I enjoyed it immediately. I, uh, when I was in high school, I, I came across uh, Edgar Casey and started reading him. And then I, I, I came across Aleister Crowley. So then I, I, I go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and I, I look at him. And neither were in uh, the encyclopedias. You know, you have... Uh, some topics, one called magic and one called mysticism. And it seemed to me that Casey kind of represented mysticism and Crowley kind of represented magic. So I uh, started going to uh, Portland State, uh, anthropology and, and drama. And then I, I started to uh, take on magic and, and mysticism as an independent study. I was very glad I did because later on when I took a uh, took on uh, secret societies and, and conspiracy theory uh, as independent studies, it, it really helped me understand the dynamics uh, of skull and bone. And I've always enjoyed uh, alchemy and, and uh, the fact that uh, zero equals two and one plus one equals three. James, after that bit of a soliloquy or whatever you want to call it, how come you uh, sent your manuscript to Trine Day? Well, I have a, a friend and uh, named Joseph P. Farrell, and, and I asked him where I should send the manuscript, and he he gave me a few names, but Trine Day was one of them. So I just hit send, and the <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. Well, you know, I, I I'm sorry your 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 book doesn't you know uh, sell a whole bunch, and I couldn't get you on the front page of the New York Times. But I think it's a very <laughs> very important book. Can you tell people a bit about what your book's about? Yeah, uh, the book is uh, is called Anatomizing Divinity. I was I was taking a graduate seminar in uh, the history of science. I thought I would do a thing on the history of alchemy uh, for this class. And uh, I know the things I started reading about alchemy kind of irked me because the, the main scholars that everyone was raving about were uh, Lawrence Principe and William Newman. And they were both people trained in science. And they would look at the texts of alchemy, um, which let me just say, uh, most of you probably know who are listening, but alchemy is uh, changing lead into gold, but it's also changing the lead of the soul into the gold of, of redemption, you know, uh, self-realization. It's, uh, it's about alienating the self. So in a way, it's almost like psychoanalysis. It's like you lay down on the couch, you go into the self, you go to sleep. So there's kind of this... Uh, there's this whole death resurrection thing we know from initiatory cults and from uh, really all world religions where, you know, you have to, you know, take the self apart, you know, you have to skeletonize as the shaman said, and then you build yourself back up in a more integral manner. Uh, the Principe and Newman, the scholars that I was reading, they were saying that, you know, the, the medieval alchemists and even the earlier ones, were not doing anything that had to do with religion at all. What they were doing was just uh, science before science. So they were simply people who like to deal with uh, uh, the natural world, 
And if they said any prayers or invocations, well, you know, ancient, in the ancient world, people did that before they did any activity. They, they would say prayers and invocations. So these things don't really have anything to do with the activity of alchemy. So I was kind of outraged by this and flabbergasted. So I began to dig and other people had mentioned that they were not satisfied with this, that, you know, alchemy was more about integrating, you know, things that you do vis-a-vis -vis the material world. And then also it has an interior component, a spiritual component. Uh, I, I, was, I was kind of amazed that anyone even had to make that point. So I kind of felt like that had to be what my paper for the seminar was about. And uh, that became a chapter. I turned it in. The, the professor, uh, dear lady, she didn't like the, the paper much. Uh, and I understand why. So I said, don't worry about it. I'll write another one. So I wrote another paper about uh, Leibniz. That became another chapter in the book. And so uh, that became the paper I turned in. So I had two thirds of the book from that, uh, that graduate seminar. And then it just went forward from there. And then you got it on your desk, uh, lucky guy. <laughs> right. right. So, so what's the importance of uh, uh, Leibniz? Leibniz is a person who was interested in what we would call esoteric mystical things, but he was also uh, invented calculus or co-invented calculus. Uh, so you can kind of see a link to, the, to modern times. Not only that, but he was really interested in church union. He was interested in, in uniting. He was Lutheran, but he was uh, involved in all these schemes of joining together the different Christian churches. He seems to have these really bald power motives, like, you know, let's go into this part of Bohemia and make sure that these churches get uh, the message, because they're going to be very receptive to it. And then it's going to be a fait accompli. We'll tell the Southern Germans that it's already happened. <laughs> so these people aren't going to like it, but we'll slowly inch them into this new theology. So there was kind of a, when I read his writings, I was like, this guy's got a lot of things coming together. He's interested in esoteric things. His, 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 his philosophy is based on the idea of the monad, which is this kind of idea that at the heart of all material things, there's this spiritual core. Uh, but this is a guy who's doing science, and he's not only doing it, but he's historically significant in that he, with Newton, co-invented calculus. So I like the fact that he yoked together in his person the scientific and then also the mystical, the philosophical. And then he's, he's kind of a schemer behind the scenes, a, a conspiracist in a sense, if you will with the way he dealt with uh, religious questions. And he had a lot of power. He was connected to the highest ranking uh, German and Lutheran uh, prelates in Eastern Europe and Central Europe. You know, who else, who else can you say that about? <laughs> right, a very interesting uh, individual. And, you know, it's part of my posit that basically part of the dynamic that's going on right now is, uh, uh, you know, the, the boomers weren't supposed to uh, cohere, they did cohere, and what came out of them was the personal computer and the internet. And those are the tools that we as a society, all of us together, are using to, to fight the corruption. That's basically, you know, people using secrecy to, to lie, cheat, and steal. When I look at alchemy, I, there's, there's, you know, there's the alchemy, it's almost the, the Taoist, the, the, the Chinese alchemy, where you have... Uh, the, the skull is the, the cauldron, the brain is the fire, and, and, you, and you bring the spirit in and, and, and merge and, and, and stuff like that. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the psychiatry part, the, the, the integrating the, uh, uh, like you say, finding out what, you're, what you're, you're, you are and then reintegrating it. And then also there's uh, the numbers part of it, where you have the relationship values uh, of numbers in that uh, zero 
and one and two and three and, and other numbers have inherent properties just by being what they are. And so, and that leads you to, like I say, the zero equals two and one plus one equals three. And from that comes all things. And you brought that into the book too. And I just really enjoyed the, the integration that you did. Now, we live in, I think, very interesting times, you know, and, and a lot of my motivation is the future and, you know, our, our children I'm thinking, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts about, you know, the interesting times we're living in 2020 and, and, you know, what the future holds for us and, and how it relates to, you know, your, your studies. Here's what I would say. The technicity, the idea of, like you said, taking the numbers and making a change in reality based on something that you can just grab, like uh, measurements of odd and even numbers. Like in the book, I talk about uh, the sources of alchemical thinking, mystical thinking, and I talk about the Pythagoreans who believed that odd and even numbers, uh, that everything was made up of odd and even numbers, and that the universe began because the central hearth fire breathed in those numbers that were closest to it and uh, formed all the things that exist out of these. So there's like, and what uh, he, the Pythagoreans talked about was that these odd and even numbers were associated with male and female, you know, all infinite, finite, all these different conceptual binaries. So it was very, um, for, their, for their spiritual teaching, it, it was a nice tie-in or a nice master concept to have number as something that you can touch. Everything's made out of numbers, and yet also it binds together and gives you a kind of matrix for uh, bringing things together, opposites that are fruitful to be brought together. So when we get to Leibniz, though, we get to, as you said, uh, the, O's, the zeros and the ones. We get to binary code and things like that, which he also wrote about. Uh, we get the origin of computers. Right now, everything is, is based on technicity. Everything's based on in, in, in world governments. It's based on we, we need a, a team of experts that are going to be able to statistically predict whether this is going to be good or bad economically for this group. For this nation and everyone all over the world is following it and uh if there's a problem well then they just get more experts it's easy to see a direct line towards the mathematic side of things and and how political choices and all of these things are being made based upon uh probabilities and mathematical theories and it's never about who's the virtuous person it's who's the technician or the expert and uh we trust them i think with such fervor because we have nothing else to trust these days. So maybe that's where there's the need for these people to dig for the trying day books and the, the independent thinking that, that you're fostering. So I don't know, that's a long winded way of uh, saying everything and nothing and a little in between, I hope. Well, you know, one thing I found very interesting just the, the other day, uh, there was some group and they announced that uh, they had sent Facebook a whole bunch of information about Bannon and his group about how they were using, you know, uh, these different uh, websites and, and Facebook to put out uh, misinformation and disinformation. They were a, an independent group of about 40 people, uh, you know, a data people and computer people uh, that were, you know, performing a uh, service to humanity and, they, and part of their thing was they're saying, hey, listen, we're, we're just 40 people and we found all this and 
Facebook is this big multi-billion dollar company and they're supposed to be doing this, but they aren't, we're doing, you know, so that's very intriguing about what you were talking about because yes, I'm 70, okay? A teen kid could, can, you know, can run circles around me about what a computer can do and all these different things. So I find this very hopeful that these people are, you know, coming together on themselves and, and doing this service to humanity. I have really no opinion about Bannon, but I do know what his career is. And I do know that he's uh, an expert at uh, getting people with, you know, seven figures to throw around tax exempt money to just give it to him to to foster certain ideas that that he has of, of what should happen and who knows he and he uses those uh, opportunities to try to gain influence as he successfully did before for a while with trump and things like that so he he's not a guy who's really written anything that furthers knowledge but he's just a guy who grabs influence and uh and and pushes certain things and it leaves you wondering uh, what's going on, and thus the need for individuals to not take things at face value, at Facebook value, so to speak, and uh, and just uh, I hope that these studies that have been done at Trying Day and, and with this book of mine at least give a different perspective on things to take one more step back and to say these things that are taken for granted. You know, there's things that are going out, going on out there. Then there are historical processes which give us the choices we can make. Which we don't know those what those choices are because we're simply saying I'm going I'm going here and doing this. So, it's not just you wake up in the morning you can do anything you want. People have already made choices for you because they have cultural the historical cultural background is there and it's right in front of you but you don't know it. So trying to make that a little clear. Hopefully, you're working in academia. Are, are you working directly with students or are you mostly working with uh, people that are trying to get pro uh, books out or whatnot? You said you were an editor. Yeah, I'm doing editing work, doing a lot of publishing. I mainly deal with people who are older than me that are that are already <laughs> they're already established, you know, academic people or they're probably my age. Maybe I think of myself as younger than them and I'm really not in actuality. But uh <laughs> Hopefully, uh, I don't know what they think of me, but hopefully what I'm able to do for them is to uh, think a little bit uh, more holistically, think a little bit more uh, across disciplines, because you do get people who have been writing, uh, I'm not putting them down, uh, but they're, they're writing the same paper that they were writing uh, 15 years ago. And so uh, I think the, the people that I've co-written uh, papers with, they certainly are like, wow. <laughs> You know, so there, it's, it's adding something, uh, cross-fertilizing different things together. Uh, and I think that uh, what happens is that people go through all, get their terminal degree, and, uh, and, and they uh, have done exactly what they've been told to do. Um, and if you ever get into any kind of academic discipline, uh, you, did, you did work in anthropology, there's what they think at, at whatever given time and place. They're like, this is a perfect anthropology paper for a person that just got their PhD. Okay, well, you need to do another one of these and another one of those. You know, it's kind of like a Hollywood director that's like, you know, oh, you gotta have snakes and you know, you gotta have some villains and you know, you gotta have a car crash in there. It's like, hey, this is a love story. You know, it takes place on an island. I don't know how many highways there are. Oh, well, you gotta have a car crash in there. So there's a lot of formula that these people follow. And uh, you know what? They reap a lot of financial rewards for following it. But I think at some point they wanna, 
injection of some kind of life into that. And uh, for, for good or ill, I've got lots of life. So I, I just inject what I've got. And uh, so far, uh, it's been onward and upward in terms of the, the editing game for me so far. Well, that, that's good. You know, part of this, uh, the, the title of this podcast is a journey because it's about uh, the journey that, that all of us take. You know, we, we go to school, we go to church, we, we learn certain things, and then we get out in the world and uh, we read uh, other books and, and other things. And, and so, you know, I mean, there was a time because of the things that I was researching and looking at, there was very few people I could talk to. And now, you know, there's, there's more people I can talk to. And, uh, and, you know, it's interesting, Bannon, because one of my favorite books is called Generations, A History of America's Future. It's basically, you know, a lot of social dynamics and talks about, uh, we've got these four uh, generations, a, a active, a reactive, an idealistic, and, and, and a civic. And then uh, actually Bannon's favorite book is by these same authors called The Fourth Turning, which is talking about these big cycles and that we have a paradigm shift. And, you know, it's about time for that, that paradigm shift. I've been working uh, towards us having a, a, better, a better world after this paradigm shift, you know, there's some people that seem to want us to uh, work into another uh, lockdown dark age. And I truly think that the ability of us to have a beautiful life on this spinning blue ball that's going through space is, uh, there's quite a, I don't know if you want to call it a dichotomy or, or, or whatnot, but I, 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 I get real tired of the the duality that a lot of people you know said, well it's just you know there's good and evil and but i i truly think that there's a, an honest way to walk down here no there's not good and evil there's the good the bad and the bannon <laughs> but uh <laughs> i i it's interesting you you said uh you talked about bannon and uh the generational thing uh that's very interesting because one of my favorite uh, uh, writers, uh, Julian Marias, a Spanish uh, philosopher who also came to my town in Norman, Oklahoma about 50 years ago and, and gave seminars. I was not around, but he also wrote about generations and generational dynamics and things like that. So if, if Bannon wrote what you just said, that's interesting. And maybe I should read what he said. Maybe I should fill in the, the, the stick figure image I have of him from just reading uh, newspaper articles. And yeah. get into a little current events instead of a. I also find that that he believes uh, that the ends justify the means, and I I do not go with that. Uh, my father, there's a, a newspaper article he was being interviewed uh, later on in his life, and he was working for the church. And he says, you know, it, it, I, I really like working for the church much better than the CIA. In the CIA, the ends justify the means. And I do think you can judge the tree by the fruits of, of what a person does. Bruce, do you, do you have any uh, questions for, for James? Yes. What would you say is the best takeaway from your book that compels or excites someone to read it what will it do for me what difference will it make in my life james it gives you sort of snapshots from uh, ancient man who who looked and saw that uh you know that he was going to die but that he should be immortal so you know you have this animistic 
uh, theme in, in, in ancient man. So he wanted to interact with, uh, with, with his environment to, to, to refine it and to extract a, a kind of soul essence. And so that's what ancient man is doing, not just simply, you know, tinkering around with stone tools. And if we move forward to the Middle Ages, you know, you, you may get a different view of that time period from the book because you have people who are not just sort of following this hidebound theology that they have, but they're actually trying to explore their psychic space through doing these alchemical operations, these, you know, scientific operations to try to transmute matter or change it from one state to the other, and also change the matter within uh, them from one state to the other. So this is a very modern thing, you know. Uh, I think with computers and as uh, we were talking about before, with how everything is goes on on Facebook and everything goes on uh, on a computer, as we're doing right now. And uh, so, what does that do to the the headspace of today's person? So, if you look at this book, what you might take away is, oh, okay, here are these well-known sort of hackneyed images of, oh, you've got the medieval monk, you've got the ancient, you know, the caveman, and all of that. But this will hopefully this book will give you a different view to say, well, these guys were doing things that were very relevant to today and very relevant to sort of mind expansion or mental therapy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're doing things that, that, that involve this, the soul, spirit, and body, and not just waiting for us to come along. Very, you know, when I was growing up, I, they, uh, some people got really mad at me because, you know, I, uh, I was a, a capitalist. I, I started a, a record store, you know, when, when I was 18, and, and uh, they kept telling me, well, you're supposed to be a Marxist, and and I just, you know, it, it, it's very, inter I mean, you're, you're an academic, so, I mean, you, you see that more where there is this, well, you've got to, you've got to believe this, or you got to read, I, I mean, I don't understand all of that to a certain extent. I don't know, maybe you can explain academic to me. You know, what you experienced with the whole, how can you own a store, you know, you've got to be equal with the people, you know. Uh, if you get into graduate study in political theory, it's even worse. You don't want to be you don't want to be associated with the wrong names or the wrong people, or you become an outcast. You know there are journals I've published in where I quoted Carl Schmidt, and I checked, and he had never been cited there in the history of the journal. Unfortunately, we'd like to think when you get to uh, the corridors of the academy that people are open, more open-minded, but it becomes even more and more a, a list of names and slogans. You follow them because you can walk into a seminar room and you can throw out the slogans and the names and people are like, yep, he does what we do. And then I walk in here and, I, and I'm talking about Carl Schmidt and uh, whoa, you know, everybody just went through the Carl windshield as soon as that name gets mentioned. Uh, if you're not going to, you know, revile him, then he's not to be mentioned. So unfortunately, human nature being what it is. You know, I read a study that said, you know, we, when we look at a human face for the first 10 seconds, we make judgments about them that are subconscious and that are almost impossible to change after that, no matter what the person does. Haven't you ever met someone and it's like, I don't know why I don't like that guy <laughs> or I like that guy. I don't know why. Um, and so I think that that's kind of played out in the realm of ideas, I think, when you get people together, because everyone's trying to please everyone else and everyone's trying to do what the program wants you to do. Um, and I just like to throw the, the heretics in there. I like it, but, but not just anyone. They have to have already offered me something valuable to me. 
and then uh, hopefully some some gaps can be bridged. But as far as the political thing, I don't have the answers. If I did, wow, I would be running Time Magazine. <laughs> I see that the the internet and the computer are playing a role in in breaking this down to a certain extent and allowing more uh, more conversation. Do you think this is a good thing? I think it's always uh, a mixed bag. Uh, you, you have a new instrument that comes along and, and you have a space is open, a, a potentiality is uh, manifested. Uh, human nature being what it is, it's, it's some are going to try to twist it toward the good and some are going to uh, be neutral towards it and let it take its own technical path towards new, new things. And then there are gonna be those that try to twist it toward uh, something we wouldn't want. So uh, it's funny that it, it, it doesn't allow us to stand back and say, well, this new self-running machine just, just came on the market. Thank God we don't have to worry about human nature anymore. Instead, it just acts like a, a, a not, it's not a neutral thing though. That's the thing. It's a new machine. So it certainly has no effect. It's not simply a magnifying glass for human nature, but it, it's a new possibility for a new type of interaction, which, which can be redemptive and it can be damning as well. I think we all already knew that, but I think sometimes we do want to emphasize, oh, well, this, you know, Snapchat's going to change my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So any, any last words, any, any last words you'd like to leave? Every man, woman, child, and dog in this nation and this galaxy needs to have a copy of this book. <laughs> and if you don't understand it when you read it, Go back to page one and read again. There's a helpful glossary. <laughs> well, I, I, James, I, I really uh, thank you very, very much for, for coming on and, and talking about these subjects. I, I, I don't think they uh, get talked uh, about enough. And like I say, we live in a very interesting age. We've got uh, conspiracy theories up, up the Yazoo. And as I've you know, found out very early on, a conspiracy theory doesn't have to be true uh, to be effective. And uh, the wilderness of mirrors uh, keeps uh, expanding. But for some reason, I don't know, I'm, I'm just very hopeful. And I think that uh, good things are going to happen. And as my friend Daniel Hopsicker keeps trying to tell me, we have changed some things already. And yeah. so uh, my favorite word is onward. So well, hey, Bruce, thank you for the work that you've done on this. Uh, it's, it's been great. And Chris, always enjoy talking with you and hanging with you. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you. And onward. <laughs>